0: podcast, the podcast where writers discuss their works in process. I'm your host, Keaston Sigler, and today I'm joined by Ashley Barrientos. Ashley is a senior at MTSU English major, correct?
1: Correct. I'm double majoring in English and journalism.
0: All right. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Thanks. Happy to be here. <laughs> yeah.
0: You know? We, uh, you know, like, been emailing like all semester almost... <laughs>
1: yeah it feels there's been a lot of it's been a very busy semester, so I'm finally glad that we were able to sit down and me too. Get to do this me too, yeah, especially because we're both seniors so I know it's that's right a very crazy time of the year graduation's
0: yeah. coming up
1: yeah my I was looking at my calendar actually earlier this morning and was kind of experiencing a an existential spiral I realized that my last day of school is like in two weeks yeah the last day ever Whoa. of school of college of any type of school yeah is in two weeks
0: I know right and I'm and I'm experiencing the same thing and I, and I have like and I know you have a lot of responsibilities but I have responsibilities and I'm like And I'm just getting, I'm finding myself stressed. Yeah. I'm like, no, these are the last weeks of college. I I need to be present and enjoy this time.
1: I totally feel that. I've actually been talking with my therapist about that because I'm just so caught up in all these deadlines and projects that I have to complete by the end of the semester that I'm forgetting, like, I guess it's not really my fault, but it's hard to be present when you're thinking about deadlines and things you have to finish before the semester's over. So it's been hard to really ground myself in the moment, these final like fleeting moments of college and school and definitely a lot of like self-reflection recently in this past oh, yeah. month. It just, you know, it's just the closer we get to graduation, the more I'm realizing like, Oh shit, like time really does pass. Like yeah. I'm graduating college always felt like such a far away thing. And now it's happening like at the end of this month. So mm-hmm. I'm just thinking like, well, wow, like time really does pass and my pets are getting older oh. and my, my parents are having gray hair, like oh, man. all that stuff. And so change. I've just been, yeah, I've just been thinking about that. And you know, as you know, I'm moving to New York in yes. a couple of months after I graduate. So how's that been? Good, good. Yeah. Um, working all the all the things out right now with moving and stuff, but still on track to move. I think by July, early August, I should be moved in Brooklyn, New York. Yeah. Brooklyn, New York.
0: Yeah. Can you tell us what the like the job and position is?
1: Yeah, so I am a social media director for mm-hmm. a platform called Environment and that is the sister platform to a another platform called Impact. And we just write a lot of socially digestible content for mm-hmm. younger audiences. So yeah, a lot of content creation, um, both of those platforms and yeah, I'm really excited. Wow.
0: So, so do you find yourself working, you say it's like content creation. So like I'm imagining articles and stuff, but also like videos and whatnot? it's
1: mostly short form infographics. Okay. That's really, we take like really, especially for environment, we take really complex issues. You know, it's, I feel like lately there's been an, a, An upcoming trend of people caring more about the environment and just the state of the planet so we're trying to get more people to care about that and people can't really care about it if they don't really understand it so our job is to kind of distill those more more complex like environmental topics into a way that's more digestible for younger audiences for sure yeah so yeah a lot of short-form content um yeah
0: right all right well that sounds pretty exciting i mean to be living there's always, you know, there's like this, I don't know, fantasy that a lot of us have of what I might call the tri state area, but like around New York, right. you know, just like the hubbub and stuff. So it's, I guess that, I mean, you sound like you're excited to go up there.
1: I'm really excited, not just for the job, but just the environment I'll be in, like being surrounded by a bunch of other writers who are as passionate as I am about what I do. I'm hoping to make a lot of connections there and, Maybe get something published, I don't know. Yeah. Join some writing groups. Oh yeah. Um I'm really looking forward to like the community I'll find when mm-hmm. I'm up there. I feel like it'll be a refresh very refreshing scene for me after I've been in middle Tennessee for most of my life. So yeah. it'll be a nice a culture shock, but I think in a good way, hopefully. Um yeah.
0: Well, I'm really excited for you. Thanks. And you're already working with them, right? Yeah,
1: I'm I'm working full time already. I'm yeah. remote.
0: Work, oh my yeah. gosh so you're working a full-time job how many classes are you taking
1: <laughs> i'm taking 12 hours which is like the bare minimum yeah. for being a full-time student i think so i'm like barely scraping by but yeah it's it's been a lot balancing full-time work and being a full-time student but i don't know it school's almost over so i guess i figured it out yeah you know, somehow
0: yeah you're 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 surviving you yeah. know i can't imagine like Yeah, I'm only taking two classes. Okay. You know, because that's all I needed left to finish out my writing minor.
1: Yeah.
0: And I'm just been I've been really fortunate because I like it's just two classes. Yeah. And one of them and both of them are like really enjoyable Mm -hmm. and don't and the work that's associated with them is work that I really enjoy doing. Mm. Writing, you know, reading. So like good, you know, good books. Not to say that. (laughs) <laughs> all the English courses I've taken before this there weren't wasn't good literature, but you like have to write papers about it yeah. and I hate thinking like that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's the best feeling is knowing like what you're doing is actually fulfilling and what right, you want yeah. to do, which has been my experience for like taking upper division courses at MTSU. You know, once we got past all the general education yeah. requirements It's been really, especially last semester. I think was my favorite semester. I had just like a bunch of writing classes and workshops, and it was awesome.
0: So I'm interested to know, like, you know, you're a writing minor, Mm -hmm. and so I want to know, like, what all of the writing classes have you taken, and what has like, what's that looked like for you?
1: Yeah, so I actually don't have a writing minor. I'm just an English major. Since I'm a double major, I don't need a minor. Ah. Um. So I was just able to take you know, whichever electives I wanted. And most of them aligned with the writing minor anyway, because that's what I'm obviously most drawn to. But I think two of my favorite, favorite classes, not just writing specifically classes, but just classes ever here at MTSU was definitely, the first one had to be advanced fiction writing. I feel like that just like elevated my work to a whole new level. The design and structure of the class, it was very intimate, very... Mm -hmm one-on-one it felt like we were very like it was a very very much like a community vibe there um and that was just like really good for for me for my writing for my identity as a writer a very fostering community um and i got a lot of really great feedback from that class certainly Um, and one of the pieces that came out of that class was actually the one that won first place in yeah. fiction at the Southern Literary Writing Festival. So yeah. gonna, I, that's like a great, I right. mean, like, you know, that just proves just how useful that class was to me.
0: Certainly. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. That's what we're going to be reading a little bit later. Mm-hmm. I mean, but I, I guess I just wanted to add too, you know, we had that class together. Yeah. And I really felt also that there was this. That There was this great community that had been built among us all, Mm -hmm. and we all seemed to really care about writing effective fiction and then also helping others to realize their fictions.
1: An invaluable experience. Yeah, and one of the best parts of that class was like we all took each other seriously. I feel like outside of that bubble, it's really hard to be taken seriously as a writer, especially if you're in an undergraduate scene and going to a school that isn't particularly known for like their writing program but in that class I felt like what I wrote mattered and what others people what other people wrote also mattered and that was just like a great feeling to be taken seriously as a writer
0: yes I agree what about some of the other writing classes you've taken
1: yeah I'm, so my other favorite class had to be the non creative nonfiction workshop that very and, fortunate <laughs> I wanted
0: to take that class
1: it was really awesome it had a very similar structure to advanced fiction writing Um, but that class I was really able to I mean I I had to like really use my lived experiences and write about those and I was really encouraged to do that in a way that not a lot of other writing classes or any classes in general like have really encouraged me to do um, other than fiction writing but Yeah, like I really had to dig deep and and look for those types of experiences to write about and build on and create a narrative out of those. And that was really a really great experience for me as a writer and just like as a person in general. There was a lot of like reflection in that class, like on my life and the experiences I've I've gone through here, living here, um, especially as a woman of color. And I was really able to I was able to just write about those experiences. Yeah.
0: And correct me if I'm wrong, the death for a tongue? Death of a tongue? Is that what
1: it's called funeral for a oh, tongue? Sorry. Yeah. No, 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 funeral no, no. yeah. For it was a, close, yeah. yeah.
0: Now you wrote that in that class?
1: Yes. That was also a product of that class and that won second place yeah. in nonfiction um the nonfiction category at SLF. Yeah.
0: I mean, whoa. <laughs> like you you placed in like so did it place in the final bracket among all the college yes, finalists? Yeah. That's what I was, was thinking. Second yeah. place, yeah jeez Ashley I mean I have a a, a, a real writer on this podcast <laughs> you know I mean Thanks. like you've you've written two and th- we're not we're not reading funeral for a tongue mm-hmm. um but I, I I wish we I wish I had asked you to bring it because yeah. I remembered that like maybe yesterday or a couple days ago I had known about it but I was like oh yeah she <laughs> wrote this and it also
1: plays yeah.
0: like you know it's creative nonfiction, but. Mm-hmm. It's still writing, you know.
1: Right, and creative nonfiction uh, shares a lot of the same elements as fiction writing, and that was something that I learned in both of those classes was just the amount of similarities that they that they both share. Which is why I think I liked nonfiction writing so much. I initially I was like, "Mm, I'm not sure about this. Like, I don't know what kind of writing this will be. I at that point in my college career, I had kind of grown weary of like essay writing and very academic, scholarly type writing. But I guess in my head, that's kind of what I thought. It would be like very rigid and, you know, not a lot of room for creativity, even though the class name was creative nonfiction writing. Um, But yeah, a lot of similarities in terms of crafting a narrative and placing people in the story and not disrupting that. Mm -hmm.
0: Creating a story. Right. You know, it doesn't matter necessarily where it comes from. It's going to share, like you said, share those same same craft elements the yeah. same care to, and intention to the words and everything you know
1: yeah and both of the stories come from lived experiences mm-hmm. so i think that was another similarity i wasn't really expecting was the fact that i could take lived experiences and create a narrative create a story out of that right
0: yeah and i and i didn't mean to imply that like it doesn't matter where it comes from of course no you know, no, I, no no yeah yeah like that's an that's an intensely rich experience mm-hmm. to have i can i can imagine you know mm-hmm. i mean that's just like and those were but you took both of those classes last semester yes and you and i mean it's almost kind of just visible what that was like for you or what that enabled you to do because both of the things that you produced out of that class placed in the Southern Literary Festival i mean
1: that is honestly so special to me because last semester was truly the first time in my entire life that i Finally felt like I had the vocabulary Mm. and the knowledge to craft a story out of my lived experiences. I mean, both of those stories revolve around what it was like for me as a woman of color to grow up in the South Mm. and to take up space in a lot of these predominantly white classrooms, work settings, social settings. I mean, oftentimes I'm only the brown the only brown person in a room and or the brown woman in a room and that has been really exhausting but that was the first semester and the first pieces of writing really that I had really tried to take my lived experiences and turn that into a story and the fact that both of those placed in this incredible like writing competition that means so much to me because it really validates my it validates, like, my experiences. Like, I have stories that are worth telling, you know? And seeing those stories placed in that competition was very, like, a moment where I was just like, wow, like, people want to hear what I have to say. And they want to hear about my experiences and my stories. And, you know, especially growing up here, I didn't really have a lot of role models to look up to who looked like me. I never really saw myself represented in literature or the types of, the readings that we had in classes, like, I never really saw myself in those, not even, like, really later on, Um, except, you know, the first time I really started seeing that was last semester, I think, in um, Dr. Arroyo's class, the advanced fiction writing class, and um, creative nonfiction workshop, Uh, but it was the first time I had started seeing stories or reading stories where I saw myself reflected in those pages, and once I saw that, I was like, wait, like I, I have experiences that similarly reflect these. Like I can write a story based on my experiences here and turn it into something worth reading. And yeah.
0: Sort of like it gave you the license to tell your stories.
1: Right. Yeah. It was like, go ahead, like write about what you want, write about these experiences that you had and you can create something out of that.
0: Wow. it know? really feels like that's, that's going to last with you, you know? like sort of like a paradigm shift for what you feel like you're capable of.
1: Yeah, definitely. It just, it changed my world, honestly. It changed my worldview. And I didn't think that people would want to read these types of stories. And I finally got the validation that I I needed. It's sad that I I waited so long, but, you know, we're still in college. It's still early on, I feel like, in my writing career. So I, I really plan on, on keeping that learning with me as I grow as a writer.
0: Right. Yeah, no, I totally understand. Like, and, and I, I, I uh, I respond to what you say about feeling like you waited too long to do, mm-hmm. to get to where you feel like you ought to have been. Cause I, I know for me, like I've been writing for so long, but all of, all of what I've been writing has been close to bullshit. <laughs> and it wasn't until like, literally it wasn't until like, like last semester last you know the last past six months where I really feel like I was really like you said like understanding Mm -hmm. more of what needs to be happening when you're writing what you need to be thinking about how to write craft you know all that stuff and yeah
1: it was definitely an awakening for me and I'm really glad that I took both of those classes together because I I feel like they worked in tandem with each other to cultivate that awakening that I had and it was a very special semester for me, mm-hmm. and I keep mentioning this, but, yeah, just, like, seeing those stories, like, win something. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, when I opened the email that morning, actually, it was funny, because I, I woke up um, pretty early, and our, my friend, our friend Cassie had mm-hmm. texted me, and she said, congratulations on SLF, and I was like, wait, what? Like, I, I had no idea and so I rushed over to... At first, I tried logging in on my phone, and, like, it wasn't loading. I was, like, stumbling around looking for my contacts, and I was, like, I'm just going to open my laptop, and I really quickly went on my school email, and that, yeah, like, there the message was there, the email was there saying that two of my stories had, had won, and I just started crying, which is, like, might be an overreaction because, you know, it's a it's a regional writing competition. It wasn't, like, anything, like, national, on the national level, but that's what I just kept saying to myself was like, I I feel so validated. Like people enjoyed the stories that I had to tell and they were from my lived experiences. And that was just like, so special to me. And I just kept, I just kept thinking about, about that and thinking about how the background that I come from, I mean, my parents are immigrants. They came to this country, not knowing any English at all, Um, moved to California, from Mexico, and, you know, didn't even complete high school, didn't complete, I think they didn't make it past, like, middle school or something, um, due to, like, financial reasons that they had to help out their families, you know, socio-political, socio-economic reasons, Um, but just, like, my parents don't have that, like, literary, esteemed background, and that always made me feel like I was, I didn't belong really in these spaces, these academic spaces, because being like a first generation student and, you know, I, my parents never had the luxury to like figure out what they wanted to do, like their creative dreams. But I, as you know, as their child, like I have that opportunity because they immigrated here. And so the fact that I was able, you know, me, a daughter of immigrants who couldn't even speak or write any English, you know, upon first moving here, like maybe 15, 20 years ago, the fact that I'm able to like master a language in that way and manipulate the language or maybe not manipulate, but bend the language in a way that creates this story that's like good enough to win a competition. And that's just like so special to me.
0: I can hear it in your voice. Yeah. It's, it's coming through. It's yeah. It's moving to me. I'm, <laughs> I'm feeling myself. You know, my yeah. eyes are moistening. I mean, it, it. You know, I I didn't want you to devalue it. And, you know, it's you had said it was just a regional competition, <sighs> not like something national. But so far in your life, in your writing life, it, it's the greatest achievement you've yeah, made, definitely. and it's a huge one. I mean, you know, yeah. Like outside of you know the community of writers and that whole scene people probably don't know what it means when you say Southern Literary Festival. (laughs) You're like, oh, yeah, there's festivals happening all the time. I can go to a festival in a new city every weekend. Mm -hmm. What is that? But no, it's like really special. Like, it's been going on for like almost 100 years. I I don't know the facts, but (laughs) it's huge. Like, it's huge. And not only did you place twice in it, you placed first place in fiction. Mm -hmm. So it's, and then I'm also hearing, I'm also imagining too, that it's, it's not just that these people, whoever they may be, enjoyed your work. Like you said, they saw the mastery of it. Mm-hmm. The how, Just how you're just, yeah, that's, that they recognize that. Yeah. So it's...
1: It means a lot, too, because it's the South, and as much, as many, like, feelings I have about the South being, having been here, you know, for a long time, it's still home to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I... Yeah, despite all the hardships that I've experienced here, like it's it's still home and the fact that those types of stories, like the stories that I write were able to excel in you know, place first or second place in a competition based in the South about my experiences in the South like that was just really special to me and I remember like the first one of the first things that I thought that went through my head when I opened that email was like I, I can actually do this. Like mm. I can actually do something with my writing in terms of like a career. You know, I can actually win competitions like these. And that you know, it was just validation in its highest form.
0: For sure. And it sort of might show kind of like the hopeful trend that the South is moving away from its past yeah. and it's recognizing the diversity that it holds. You know,
1: yeah, that was a beautiful moment for me. You know, realizing that as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, giving voice to the people to- who didn't have a voice before.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that's
0: that's really amazing.
1: Yeah, thank you. Yeah.
0: Um, I'm interested to know. You know, like after hearing you talk about just like this huge, amazing period of your life over the past four months or so, um, since just these accolades started coming in and on in your own shift and understanding how you can, what you can write and that you can write. I know you are like really busy with a full-time job and <laughs> basically a full load of classes, but do you find yourself still having the time to write nowadays?
1: It's been so hard. Yeah. It has been so, so hard. I think the closest I've been to writing consistently is just journaling every day, but you know, just keeping like a daily mm-hmm. journal, but in that, I I try to incorporate some elements of, like, creative writing, just, um, I don't know if you remember, but in our advanced fiction writing class, one of the exercises we would do is just go out and basically people watch and try to find moments that you can turn into a story, whether it's, like, you know, seeing somebody at, uh, seeing a mom and her daughter at Goodwill, or hearing a couple arguing in the grocery store, just, like, things like that. I try to take moments from my life and turn them into little blurbs Mm -hmm. of a story you know and that's that's at least one thing I've been trying to do to to keep that creative writing part of my mind alive but it's it's been really hard and I I've been trying to find time to just sit and and write because I think the hardest part is of anything honestly is just starting Mm -hmm. but yeah I I wish I I had more time I think hopefully after school ends for me in a couple of weeks I'll have more time to just you know, right? Yeah, reaccess
0: yeah. it. Yeah. No, but that's great though because like some people won't even do that. Just yeah. at least journal. It's great that you're doing that. It hopefully daily, but just like at least maybe like every other day, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it reminds me like Arroyo says, and this this is like really stuck with me. How you spend your days is how you spend your life, or something like that. You know. So it's it's like it might be a little better said. How he puts no, it. that's
1: I understand like yeah. the the sentiment of yeah. that completely. Like I feel like a lot of the times we like to just kind of imagine life as this like con- like oh like once I do once I finish this then that's mm-hmm. when I'll start my life. Once I achieve this, that's when I'll start my life. But we're we're living life yeah. right now. You know, we're doing this podcast right now. Yeah. We're journaling, and that's. That's life, mm, yeah. you know? And if you keep that mindset of, like, life being something that you start later on after, like, a certain element or requirement has been met, met then you'll just basically be, you know, wishing your life away. Exactly. Instead of being in this moment. Yeah, you know?
0: you'll just keep putting it off and yeah. off, and you'll never get to what you think you want to do with your life. Life yeah. will have slipped by.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: No, yeah, that's... it's So, you know, that that sentiment has really kind of just kicked me into drive now it's like yeah. every day i'm you, the things that you want to do you have to choose to do them as right. best you can given the other requirements that you have
1: mm-hmm. but it's, it's like yeah yeah it's about priorities honestly mm-hmm. like what do you prioritize in your life and if you if you want to make time for it then you will you mm-hmm. it's simple as that
0: i'm also interested to know if like how long what got you into writing and how long have you been doing it
1: Oh gosh. So I guess if you like really want to go to the beginning, I I first knew that I had some sort of like talent or skill as a writer when I, I was like in fifth grade, I think, fifth, sixth, seventh grade, sometime in middle school. um, One of my elementary school teachers, Miss Caldwell, she was our English um, teacher. I had written something for an assignment um, and she pulled me out into the hallway and she was like, Ashley, like, this is this is really good. Like you you have skill and talent. And that was the first time really that I had heard anyone affirming my writing in that way. And as a young girl, like that was a pretty big significant moment for me and just made me like, oh, like maybe I maybe I can write, you know? And <clears throat> sorry. Um after that, slowly I, I started writing and writing more and more teachers started noticing, like, the potential that I had as a writer. Yeah, um, more teachers started noticing the talent and potential I had as a writer. I started winning, like, small, like, school competitions, essays every now and then. I actually won the, um, I don't know if you remember when we were freshmen or, like, seniors in high school, but MTSU had this, like, reading essay competition or something, but, one year, the year that my freshman year, um, I had won the, the essay competition for, I think the book was, like, Just Mercy, Bryan Stevenson. But, yeah, I wrote an essay about that, and it won that. So, like, slowly over the years, I started noticing more and more. As, like, my accolades grew, I was, like, I unfortunately, I needed that type of validation. I wish I didn't, but the more I acquired the more I started to realize, like, oh, like, I, I can actually write. Like, I can do something. And, yeah, it was always for fun at first, like, especially creative writing. Like, creative writing will always have, like, a very special place in my heart, even though, like, you know, the, the job that I have now and it's more, like, journalistic writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's still a lot of creative elements that that go into that. And, yeah, and then I chose – first I started off st- started off as a double ma- – or as a – First, I started off as a journalism major here at M.C.S.U. Um, so I did, you know, I wrote a couple of articles for the school paper, and then I was promoted to a lifestyles editor, and then I was promoted to editor-in-chief, which was a really big thing. So I, I had a lot of experience with, like, writing journalism. I interned at the Nashville Scene, which is, like, a local alt publication in Nashville, and then I interned in Baltimore for the Baltimore Sun, So I have a pretty heavy um, journalism writing background. Um, In terms of creative writing, like, even though that was what I started off, that was, like, my first love in terms of writing, I didn't really come back to that until, like, junior year, um, senior year of college, you know, with all those classes that I had taken. yeah, like, the fiction class that I took, and then advanced fiction, creative nonfiction, like, all those classes – kind of just reawaken this love that I I had for creative fiction. And yeah, after that, like, I just started writing more and more and seeing how much potential I had as a writer. And then obviously I started winning more awards. And yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now.
0: Because didn't you also place in last year's SLF?
1: I, I placed in, like, the MTSU. Okay, yeah. Like not regionally but out of the MTSU students who were selected I placed yeah was that a fiction i don't really re- i think it was i think it was fiction yeah. and i the year before that i had placed in like an essay the essay oh. um,
0: so you've placed section. 3 times now
1: the first two times i placed in like MTSU okay yeah yeah um, but not in the overall competition right, and maybe. then this past time was the first time i had placed in the overall wow, competition wow i
0: mean that like charts your growth right there <laughs> yeah. i mean that's amazing
1: Thank you. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, that all the congratulations to you, Thank you know. You. So I know so I, I think we'll turn to reading hair now. Okay. And so for the listeners, this is the this is the story we've been talking about that Ashley wrote and it placed first place overall out of we'll just say we'll just say like twenty to thirty colleges mm-hmm. where fiction writers had submitted their their short stories. And I myself was in that group. I was competing <laughs> with Ashley. I obviously, you know, it's pretty telling. You know, I didn't win. Um, oh, shut
1: up. <laughs> you know,
0: but uh, I, 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 I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not sour by that or anything. Yeah. You know, I, for me, I'll just say my own experience was that was the first time I had ever submitted anything to anything. Wow. And it just, just placing mm-hmm. in the MTSU bracket was enough for me. You know, that was enough recognition for me that, okay, yeah, I do. I have grown. I have gotten better as a writer and I I can have perhaps a future in this. I didn't, of course, yeah, I wanted to place in the regional competition, but, and that would have been amazing, but it was, it was fine. That's great.
1: I didn't know that was your first time submitting. Wow. It's pretty impressive for like first time.
0: Well, thank you. Um, thank you. Uh, all, all of that I owe to the like we already we've already been saying the invaluable experience of for me specifically like arroyo's classes yeah you definitely
1: know? definitely that and, was also for me like honestly the most valuable experience I've had as a writer here, yeah
0: because like and i like I said, I've been writing and I had taken like courses at Vanderbilt and novel writing mm-hmm. and stuff like a long time ago, but the timing just and i'm, I'm I think I learned from those things, you know but for me. I felt like the timing wasn't gr- wasn't wasn't the best because whatever I was learning then I wasn't ready to integrate it in my mind yeah. as ready as I was last year last yeah. semester now still you know like and my brain is just working yeah. a lot more efficiently <laughs> now I feel
1: like And I will say one thing about Dr. Royo's class was I know I had mentioned earlier about not really being exposed to um books or novels or short stories by Latina authors but he was the first professor really in my entire college career to like expose me to those types of stories stories from like marginalized women of color like that was like such a big that was such a significant moment for me you know he even lent me um one of his books the moths um i forgot who the author was but just like the gestures like that and you know how to pronounce knives like Mm -hmm. that that book also like that was just like so special to me and prior to that I had never really seen myself reflected in stories like that as I've been saying for like this whole podcast but he was finally he was able to like introduce me to those types of stories and that I think how to pronounce knives was like the that was like the moment where I was like I I have like similar experiences to this like I can write about this um yeah
0: yeah yeah no for sure like
1: so yeah thank you to dr thank you dr that (laughs) that was awesome he's
0: great uh you know i worship that guy (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um so yeah so i guess we're gonna we're gonna read here now
1: Excerpt. I'm reading the back of a yogurt cup at Publix. The long list of ingredients name all kinds of active bacteria: Lactobacillus bulgaricus, Streptococcus thermophilus, Lactococcus lactis, Bifidobacterium lactis. I think about the chicken I purchased from here earlier and the bacteria moving inside me right now, and I feel the sudden urge to shave my stomach lining, my intestines. Carefully, I place the yogurt back on the refrigerated shelf. I always think about dying whenever I come here. There are too many options to choose from, too many ingredient lists to scan through, too many pretty people in green vests walking around asking if I need help with anything. I think about how it would be so much easier to just not exist than be faced with the 30 kinds of crackers and 20 types of coffee and 10 types of frozen pizzas to choose from but at least everything is always neatly organized on the shelves, illuminated under the clean, white ceiling lights. Usually I try to go towards the end of the day, just an hour before they close, so that it's more desolate and the tile floors smell of floor cleaner, enhancing the sterility of it all. There's something sacred about a grocery store at 9 p.m. on a weeknight. There's one section I will always go to great lengths to avoid, especially tonight. It's located at the end of aisle 7, tucked away deep enough in the store so that if I stick to my usual path, I don't have to look at it. I walk through the dairy section, past the yogurts, the string cheese, the tubs of butter, and keep walking past the cereal, the bread, the canned sauces. The boxes of pasta lining the shelves are a warning signal for me, a landmark. As soon as I see them, I dip into that aisle and come out on the other side, near a section stocked with eye drops, painkillers, and tampons. I don't want to think about my mom tonight. Her styrofoam cups of coffee, her almond-scented perfume, her pots of rice. I roll my cart over to the feminine care aisle, sandwiched right between the cleaning supplies and pet food. As I'm scanning the shelves from her body lotion, my eyes register the wall of hair products directly adjacent to the lotion. My hand subconsciously flutters to my scalp, and I think about the last time I dyed my hair. Two years ago, during my first week of college, I attended a tailgating event. After a few hours of drinking alongside packs of sorority women, I returned to my apartment, where I processed a visceral feeling that had begun coagulating in my stomach. My hands pulsed with the urge to dye my hair that night. Blonde. A feat that can be expensive and time-consuming, especially with dark virgin hair like mine. I didn't have the money or the patience to wait and go to a salon, so I drove to the nearest beauty supply store that week and purchased an at-home bleaching kit. I had to go to the emergency room that night after my old roommate came home from work to find me clawing at my face and rolling around on the floor of our shared bathroom. The bleach had accidentally seeped into my eyes. I sift through all the different little boxes of toner and hair dye, picking up each one and reading the back. My heart starts beating too fast, so I settle on the ones with the prettiest woman on the front and toss them into my cart. As I make my way towards the cashier, I pass by the produce section for a handful of limes, and then I peruse through the bakery. I pick out a white box of sheet cake from the fridge, a $9 bottle of wine, and a bouquet of flowers wrapped in cellophane near the front. The flowers are a bright pink. I know they are artificially colored. The cashier is a short, plump, Latina woman. Her name tag says Jessica. She looks up at me when she scans the box of hair dye. When she scans the wine, she asks me for my ID in Spanish. At this, I grow uncomfortable. I fish for my wallet and brand the photo of 16-year-old me from high school. In this photo, I'm smiling with all my teeth, and I'm dark skinned from the June sun. My hair, still black, frames my face. She stops to look at it for a moment, and I recognize the look on her mouth, her eyes. I know she's trying to piece everything together. She's trying to figure me out. People are filing in and out of Julie's apartment. A drop of lime stings a razor cut on my knuckle. My throat burns, and I wince as I suck the soft white meat of the dimpled flesh. Something evil is spinning inside me tonight. Someone places a glass of the Publix wine in my hand, and I'm trying to follow the thread of conversation unraveling in front of me. My phone buzzes, and I instinctively reach for it. I'm pulled off the couch by a nameless face and we migrate towards the kitchen. Later, I end up in a windowless room watching Julie show us her new closet. A yellowing mattress wilts on the floor, a pile of books teetering haphazardly beside it. Her blonde hair falls into her face and I feel stars coming out of my chest. Someone calls my name and I feel myself being passed off again into the hallway. I accidentally step on a plastic cup Someone shows me another video on their phone. I end up in the bathroom. With one hand, I'm scooping back a fistful of blonde hair from a girl in my literary theory class while she vomits into the toilet. I think her name is Danielle. My other hand rubs her back in big, slow circles. Her hair smells like peaches. You're doing a great job, I say, and she moans, her cheek pressed against the cold, white toilet seat. She's wearing a green tank top with an exposed back her skin cool and remarkably smooth. Someone bangs loudly on the door, and I glance up from Danielle's back. Towels hang limply over a moldy shower curtain rod. The linoleum floor is sticky and littered with crushed aluminum cans. A lone cell phone and a set of keys lie abandoned by the door. There are four other girls in the bathroom, including Rachel. I shift uncomfortably as my knees start to ache from kneeling for so long. The floor squelches as I shift my balance from one leg to another. Just a second, I yell. I try making my voice loud enough so that people can hear me over the music. Someone's throwing up. I glance in the toilet bowl and see little chunks of food. I reach over Danielle and fumble with the silver toilet knob. The door abruptly opens and two more girls file in. A wave of loud music fills the bathroom temporarily, like a gust of cool wind, and the door shuts again. They are smoothing their shiny hair and laughing about something. They approach me while Danielle gets up, mumbles something under her breath, and hobbles over to the sink. The faucet switches on. You're so pretty, the one in the red dress says. She has sparkly eyeshadow and purple lipstick on. My heart stutters. Really, I say. I can feel the words coming out of my mouth like drool. Yeah, red dress says, turning to her friend. Molly, doesn't she look so pretty? She kind of reminds me of someone. Who am I thinking of? Molly gives me a once-over that lasts about half a second and says, she looks like that girl from our organic chem class. What's her name? Maria, Monica, something like that. They both look at me for a few seconds, and I start to wipe my sweaty palms on my dress. I look for Danielle, but she's already slipped out the door, along with the other girls in the bathroom, except for Rachel an eerie quiet fills the air, and my body tenses up like it knows what's coming. For one surface-level moment, we're just four girls sharing the peaceful solitude of a bathroom at a party. And then she begins to ask me that question. And before she asks me what she's going to ask, what everyone always ends up asking me, no matter how many times I shave my arms until they burn red or color my hair with shitty box dye from Publix, or learn how to use the dishwasher, or learn that pots and pans don't belong in the oven, I already know what it is. I know because she already asked me. She asked me when she looked at me and then at Rachel, when she looked at my curved nose and my skin and my rounded jawline, when she looked at my arms and saw that I was a fraud. I recognize this question like I recognize when someone's about to ask me what my name is. Where are you from? She asks me this, and I can feel something in my chest splinter off and away into the night. It slips outside the bathroom that smells like vomit, through the sweating bodies in the living room, out the window of the kitchen where the floors are sticky from Jack Daniel's lemonade and truly sloshing out of people's cups, and into the sky above a town I've grown up in but have never really been from. She asks me this, and suddenly I'm 12, and shopping at Hollister with my parents— surrounded by blown-up pictures of pretty girls on a nameless beach in Southern California. I'm 10 and pretending I don't hear my mom calling after me when she drops me off at school, her accent thick with the country she left behind when she was only 17. I'm 8 and in Miss Reeves' classroom, trying not to cry when the substitute teacher pronounces my last name wrong, and wishing it was something like Smith or Johnson. I'm 21 and in a bathroom at Julie's housewarming and trying not to feel alien, trying not to cry at this very simple question that a very pretty white girl has just asked me. No, that's, that's the excerpt. That's yeah, it. Yep. Damn, all right, nice.
0: No, I mean, that. like, yeah. like damn. <laughs> Good stuff. It reminds me. Thank you. When I was back in the audit, whatever it's called, an auditorium. The, yeah,
1: the lecture hall, yeah. or whatever. Yeah.
0: Hearing that again. Man, I mean, I got to find uh, where. Cause, so that was an excerpt from the story. Mm-hmm. I have the full story. Yes. And uh, I got to find where we started. I think on page page seven. I mean, like, this is a really great story so many moments, like one of the greatest, one of the greatest achievements in the story is that like almost every single paragraph, it starts somewhere and ends somewhere else. Like we'll just go with that first paragraph, for instance, where the narrator's reading the back of a yogurt cup and looking at the ingredient names. And then she's thinking about the bacteria moving inside her. So we start from the outside world and and she's reacting to that. And then she and then it moves into her in- interior experience and just every single paragraph has that shift almost from outside to inside or what she's trying to uh, or what she's trying to avoid to how she avoids it and it's like it's like just perfectly crafted like every single paragraph is necessary in that it it shows this constant relation between outside inside And then what the narrator is doing to avoid these like things that she doesn't want to have to experience, which we sort of understand to be related to her mother. Yeah. You know?
1: And that paragraph is actually a really good parallel, I think, to the paragraph where they ask her this question and she's kind of taken out of her body and just it's an out-of-body experience and she's going in and out, like outside of this room that she's in, but also internally referring back to like all these experiences that she's had as a child growing up and then this experience now. So yeah, you're right. It's a lot of in and out. And that was the first paragraph was definitely intentional in that way and kind of crafting like an out of body back into your body um, experience in this sort of like abrupt way.
0: But and it's also that the narrator is reacting to all these things that are happening in the world. So like all these reactions that are happening throughout the story comes to this head yeah. where the action the like the sin like the the crisis action is the is the white girl whatever her name is asking where are you from mm-hmm. and then yeah then the narrator's reaction is it just sends her back into this like lifelong experience she's had um of just you know feeling like, like, like it says right here alien different
1: yeah. and it's like I I wanted to write this story because this is a very obviously like I base this off an experience that I I had I think it was last summer and it just it was such a small moment in that moment it felt so small you know and it wasn't until later I I just kept coming back to this moment you know and really reflecting on this question that I've been asked and it seems it's a pretty harmless question but when you step back and and look at it you know from the grand scheme of things it it just kind of follows along this theme of never really belonging and you know that question is just kind of an allusion to that it's like oh you're not you're not from here like you're not one of us like where are you actually from and so I actually started this story, I remember very clearly, I was in Baltimore, and I was in this, like, town, townhouse that I had rented out, and one weekend, I had just woken up, and I was just thinking about this moment, and I was like, I, I have to document this, or write this somehow, and this was actually, um, the scene where, where it starts, you know, people are coming in and out of Julie's apartment, that is the first, part of this whole story that I had written Mm -hmm. like that whole section of like encountering these two girls and them asking that question like that was the first thing I had written and that was over the summer and you know it was just like a page or two and I kind of it kind of got lost in my my um, my laptop and I hadn't really picked it back up until advanced fiction writing and I was like, wait, like, I, I have this story that I, I feel like I could turn into something. And so, you know, the rest of the story was written then. But, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, it like, the narrator, you, you get this sense that the nar- like the narrator is, like, a really realized person, that mm-hmm. that all, all the things that she's experiencing are not new things. Yeah. They've been, like, a constant in her life. Mm-hmm. And she's sort of not necessarily grown numb. Not numb used to but also it just you feel by the end of the story that it's just like welled up in her yeah and like like sort of that's the point of why we are in this brief episode of what has been a, a long-standing constant in her life that this is the moment where it's reached its crisis point and i know we didn't read it in this excerpt but i hope that i can talk about the ending yeah. of the of the longer yeah. version there's like this really profound moment that ends the story, and so the whole time the narrator's like been idealizing the white girls around her, she mm-hmm. wants to be more like them, to be accepted, integrated into their into their society. yeah and it, and so then by the end, and there's and sort of that idealization has worked with her roommate a little bit. but then by the end, I'll just read it. It says, "I noticed that she left behind her tube of lipstick on the counter." In my hands, it feels like a museum artifact, sacred, elegant. With one swift move, I flush it down the toilet. And so right there in, in, those, in those brief s- few sentences, so much is captured about what she has wanted for so long, it seems that she's discarding it now.
1: Yeah.
0: And that's just really powerful.
1: Thank you. I, I really tried to, like, take small moments like moments you would perceive as being pretty insignificant in that moment you know just like flushing a tube of lipstick down a toilet but in this context it's like a much bigger thing than that and there's a lot more meaning to that and that's what I've tried to do throughout the story is like these moments that just don't seem like that big of a deal but they actually are Mm -hmm. when you put it in the context of you know of our narrator and I I really tried to go for that
0: yeah because like so many of her behaviors tell so much. Like she has a route through the grocery store to avoid this aisle that reminds her that we sense of her mother. Um, other things too, like part of part of the other achievement in the story, and this happens on on page thirteen, really close to the end of the story, when we're when they're in, when the narrator's in the scene with the bat in the bathroom with the girls. There's this paragraph that says the the white girl is about to ask her the question and the narrator says i know because she already asked me she asked me when she looked at me and then at rachel when she looked at my curved nose and my skin and my rounded jawline when she looked at my arms and saw that i was a fraud for me that's and i don't know if all of that was in the excerpt that you had read but that's in the story and for me when i read that it just showed me that this is this is the achievement it showed me that yeah because we speak with more than just our voice, that our behaviors tell just as much as what we say, mm-hmm. and so our characters should be behaving in such a way that we will reveal them even even all all of the characters that's just how it is, and that's like something that is overlooked sometimes that behaviors don't correlate with what the, with who the character is and what they're about there's just some beginning writers will just only focus on maybe dialogue or something and hope that does the work
1: right and that was something that I learned a lot from that from advanced fiction writing class was you know Dr. Arroyo would always emphasize showing not telling that kind of became like our mantra throughout that class and that was something that I had always struggled with how do I be subtle but not too subtle like how do I communicate this in a way that shows it rather than just like explicitly writing it out. So that's why I, I I think I really enjoyed writing moments like that where I kind of lay out behaviors that explain, you know, her actions explain a lot more or it, her actions really convey more than I ever could if I just like wrote it out explicitly in a sentence, you know?
0: Certainly. I mean, I totally... You know, like I want to get show, don't tell tattooed on my body somewhere, <laughs> you know?
1: <laughs> That's yeah. like, <laughs> yeah.
0: That makes sense to me, you uh-huh. know? Um,
1: and I feel like that concept has really strengthened my writing skills just like focusing and honing in on that concept alone has done so much for me as a writer and I remember when we were workshopping this story in class was I got a lot of compliments saying like you did a lot of showing you know not just telling so that's something that I'm really proud of in terms of, like how I've grown as a writer and something I'm really thankful that I took from that class
0: certainly and it's more than and obviously you've done way more than just showing in this story. We've talked about um, how the how the character is reacting to the things she sees. Like there's another moment where the narrator is looking at, and I, again, I can't remember all that you read in the excerpt, but mm-hmm. I, there's this moment where the, the narrator is looking at the shelves for more body lotion and she sees um, the wall of hair products mm-hmm. and seeing that reminds her of an experience she had she had tried to dye her hair for the first time so not only does she react to what she's seeing and it spawns a memory but that memory reveals her desire to not be who to not be her to be something other than what she is and that's great and that's that's like efficient and effective you know yeah but then there's other great moments too where like just the language is so rich with sensual detail like that's the other thing that was huge that we were learning like yeah try to try to capture as many senses as you can and damn it I think you you capture like all five (laughs) in so many different ways but it's easy to again like it's easy to just put senses in the story for senses sake but no you have to have the senses work toward revealing the center of the character so she's like feeling things that relate to uh what she wants like the lotion or the or her arms being wrought or she'll smell something that she wants to avoid you know like that might remind her of her mother or just all just just effective things that work on more levels than just one
1: yeah and I, I think you have a great point like it's easier to be very flowery with your language and just kind of load everything up with sensory images but it took a while for me to realize like that's not that's not really the goal it's how you can craft these sensory images into portraying like a larger image. Yeah,
0: for yeah. sure. And like the, there has to be intention mm-hmm. behind it. Definitely. This is what I hear you also saying, yeah. you know. Oh, but then like, ah, uh, yeah, there's like this other great moment where the narrator is seeing herself and it's not said, but given what we know already, we can sense that the narrator is seeing herself reflected in these bright pink flowers mm-hmm. she she knows that they're artificially colored and so like we already know that there's the connection between their artificial coloring and what she wants to do with her hair in some way you know and then that just relates to the ov- her overall desire to again just you know be like these white girls we'll just say yeah. it not I mince mean, words you know yeah. um just excellent stuff
1: thank you and one thing that I was always, like, insecure about when I was writing this story, I was always thinking, like, will people, like, understand the message that I'm trying to convey? Like, and you've just been hitting, like, all these different points that I, I really, like, wanted to be communicated through, through these stories and these images that I've created. And so that means a lot to me as a writer, that being able to, like, create the story and have another reader pick up on all these mm-hmm. different like little things that you just threw in there and we're kind of hoping people would pick up on
0: so. yeah, right like your your efforts are being seen yeah i totally understand yeah. like i know i i'm like an, uh, an episode i think that i just uploaded it was madeline whitten or you, mm-hmm. you she yeah. was in your creative nonfiction yes. class right yeah we were I, she had brought some things in and i brought, and she asked me to bring a few flash fictions in And she was, like, picking up on all these things Mm -hmm. that I was hoping to convey. And I just was like, oh, man, that's really amazing. It's
1: (laughs) such a magical feeling, honestly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's really great stuff. Like, that's just, that's what you want as a writer, you know? Yes. There's other great moments, too. And you didn't, in the excerpts, didn't touch on the full full multiple scenes at Mm -hmm. the party. But there was, like, this one paragraph uh, where... The narrator, it's like it just really captures like the blurriness of the party Mm -hmm. when you're drunk and you're just moving through these to these different places in an apartment. And there's like just, and you don't know how you got there. You're just there and suddenly you're here. Suddenly I'm here. Suddenly I'm doing this. And it's just like, it's, and it's brief too. Like there's not much said to it about like the transitions or anything. And so I just think that was like an effective way to really like I already said just like really create the atmosphere of it, create the atmosphere of the party but also reveal that the narrator is several drinks in you know like yeah. it's not remembering everything yeah. or being able to sense everything
1: yeah definitely that was what I was going for like trying to place myself back in that back in a, a room in a party setting and just like remembering how choppy memories can be and that's why I, I try to write it in that way like these moments feel very brief and fleeting and you're just like kind of being passed around from one room to the next talking to this person and then this person so yeah i'm i'm glad that i was able to capture that because i'm in college i feel like if i wrote this like at a later time i might not have captured that so accurately so
0: mm-hmm. and. Yeah. They, uh- and then maybe it might be imbued by like different experiences you would have at a party. Right. Like I don't you know, like people continue partying, but yeah. There's yeah. also the notion that like once you get a little bit older, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, maybe I'm not gonna drink as much as I yeah. will tonight. Yeah. You know, I have to get up in the morning, yeah. you know, stuff like that. Um so I'm I'm interested to know that, you know, you've written this story and you said how and you, you talked about how like a, a many portions of it are reflections of your own experiences in real life Mm -hmm. and so I'm interested to know if now having written it have you noticed like any sort of change in how you're experiencing these uh you know just experiencing what the narrator experiences in this story
1: that's a really great question and something that I've also asked myself I think it's so interesting to take a lived experience like this and put it in a story, like, narrative type of creative narrative format. Because I can really, like, step out of myself and look into this experience that I've had. And it's just a lot of reflection, honestly. It's a lot of... I mean, to write this story from, like, a first-person perspective, from this character that's, like, me, but also not really me. It's its own character. That was, like, a really... Maybe like therapeutic is a good word, almost cathartic experience for me to really I have to like put myself obviously in this in the narrator's shoes and i I have been in the narrator's shoes before, but really having to like revisit these types of experiences and remember every single detail from like the way that I felt to the way I perceived things or how how I felt I was being perceived by others and it was a very unique experience because like I've said, this is the first writing this story. I wrote this, you know, a few months ago, um, in the fall last year. And so that was like one of the first times that I had ever used my experiences as like kind of a, as an um, inspiration for a story. And so having to like put myself in that mindset, like was a very cathartic experience for me. And, I feel like I have so many stories left to tell Mm -hmm. and so I know I'll be returning to that mindset very soon so I'm curious to see because this was just like it was this story and then Funeral for a Tongue Mm -hmm. you know those were like my first real like experience-based narratives and it'll be interesting to see how that develops like the more stories like similar to those that I write like how that will affect me in the way I perceive the world. Because up until this moment, they were just experiences. They were just things that happened to me. They happened, I kind of like shoved them in a corner of my mind, never really thought about or never really thought to like bring them up again. It was just that was just how it is. And similar to the the narrator, like I I had grown used to it at that point. And so having to dig it up again and revisit that was interesting to say the least and was emotional for me at times and i it was this story you know, for a tongue and another story i had written a collection of flash fictions that i wrote for dr arroyo's class called so you don't end up like me um and, and that, those are great as well thank like, you I remember those thank you yeah and that was like it has a very similar like it was very similar in the way that i use lived experiences to tell those stories and i feel like i i finally found like my groove of writing and i'm just curious to see how i'll use future experiences and past experiences to build on that as a writer yeah
0: certainly yeah it it sounds like part of what you're saying is is now that you've accessed this vein that you had been avoiding it's suddenly like gushing out and yeah. you're like trying to like keep the waters <laughs> from just overtaking you you know but you're ready to like swim in them yeah because
1: like you know like we've been saying this has been years in the making like all of these things that i've experienced have accumulated over the course of my entire life and now that i have like the language the vocabulary the knowledge to communicate those experiences I'm just ready. I'm ready to like un- to dig up those memories and unpack all of those things and create stories out of them, so that hopefully other people can relate to those, and I can be that storyteller that I never had mm-hmm. when I was growing up. I can I can be the or I can write stories that other girls see themselves in, you know, because I I never had that growing up, and I, I want to to be that for somebody else.
0: Certainly, yeah it also sounds like you're saying that writing this story at least in particular and the other ones perhaps as well that you had mentioned was a scary experience and Arroyo always says that it's good for you to be scared when you're writing yeah and i mean i think that kind of makes visible what he's meaning mm-hmm. in these stories because these are powerful and effective stories thank you, you know, like they 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 just brim with this like certain kind of energy that if you're not moved by the end of them, you know, you, you need to really try to work on yourself <laughs> or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was the goal cuz I when I was writing each of these stories, hair funeral for a t- funeral for a tongue and so you don't end up like me. All of those stories I've gotten emotional writing them. And so anytime it's especially honestly so you don't end up like me, which I know we haven't really talked about on this podcast, but that for me was a very like personal set of flash fictions and it delved more into my family background Mm. rather rather than just my personal identity so writing those especially was very emotional for me and I I can recall now just like writing and just mid-sentence you know I'll be typing something out and this like feeling will just overtake me like this overwhelming feeling of emotion and I'll just kind of start choking up or tearing up or even crying because I've... And that's, like, honestly a special feeling, too, because that means I've, like, I've moved myself mm-hmm. in, into this, like, state of emotion. Yeah, I've just moved myself to this point where I'm, like, crying at what I'm writing, yeah. you know?
0: And that, I mean, that speaks for itself, you know? I, I know... I. I don't know if I've ever gotten to that point if I've yet accessed the really deep psychic wounds yeah. in me but I keep flirting with it mm-hmm. and I keep approaching it in my writing but I think I'm I think I, I think I'm still scared of some of those things you yeah. know
1: It's very scary and I knew from the moment that that concept was brought up in Dr. Arroyo's class that was the first I had ever heard of like a psychic wound mm-hmm. and those being expressed in your writing as soon as I heard that I knew I I want to face that. I want to confront that because I know I have a lot of those that I still haven't even really confronted today, like psychic wounds that I have accumulated but chosen to ignore Mm -hmm. for my own well being. But I really, really wanted to face that last semester. And, you know, today from now on, I really want to continue taking those psychic wounds and turning them into something. Beautiful.
0: certainly i mean that uh, what arroyo arroyo uh, he would almost call that i don't know if he would call it therapy but he would say that you know writers shouldn't go to therapy <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. jokingly he'd say yes, that yes yeah. you should go to therapy right you, right know, go to therapy you're not gonna lose your creative juices and yeah. you start figuring i shit go to out. therapy yeah and
1: i'm fine i, I still have it i'm yeah.
0: gonna go to therapy <laughs> when i can you know afford it when
1: it's affordable yeah you know
0: my girlfriend is uh she's in like a psychology program okay. so she therapizes me sometimes okay. but like, you have
1: your therapy plug yeah so.
0: i get some of it it's not a, you know it, that's you're not supposed to do that like that's not <laughs> that's not effective therapy yeah it's, no definitely go to therapy yeah but go to yeah. therapy someone who's not in your family or that is your significant other yeah definitely <laughs> yeah for sure i learn about things and i'm you know yeah But I'm definitely going to go to therapy. Yes. You know, like.
1: Yeah. But honestly, it is therapeutic for me. Like, writing in this way, it's, I think the best word to encompass that feeling is it's healing. Mm. It's very healing for me, especially after, like, ignoring it for so long or trying to, like, not address it for so long and not realize, like, those experiences have made me the person that I am today and made me act the way that I act. Because when you write stories like this, you really have to like revisit those and unpack them and put yourself in those memories again, memories that you have tried so hard to not think about, and you have to go and relive it again. And it's that reliving that is really scary, really emotional, but once you get through it, once you're at the end of that, you look back and you see what you've written, what's come out, because honestly, it's kind of a blur, like when I write about moments like this that I've experienced, I will just like go into that moment and it take, it takes over me. And as a writer, I have to really learn how to balance that because that can be a good thing, but can also kind of not be such a great thing. Like I have to practice discipline and not let it overtake me that much. But you know, at the end of it, at the end of that whole process and at the end of writing hair, I stepped back and I was like, wow, like I, I created something out of those really negative experiences that I had, and I created something worthwhile. I created a story that people enjoyed reading, you know, and that is very, very fulfilling and very rewarding and makes that whole process worth it.
0: And does it almost kind of show you that you can be present? With your maybe we'll call them traumas, but just those negative experiences that you've wanted to avoid, that you can be present with them, yeah, and and confront them,
1: definitely. Yeah, it's I I would definitely agree with that. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember because um, I think in Doctor Arroyo's class, he had said something, or in Doctor Arroyo's class, we would he would just make us write, like just kind of word vomit, you mm-hmm. know, like don't try so hard to think about like what you just let it let it take you like let yourself be taken by this current of writing and that like really stuck with me because i resonated with that experience so much like that's how i feel a lot of the times especially with like you know the concept of first shitty first drafts um oh yeah it's just like that that is the concept in that you know in that text is like don't worry so much about exactly what it is you're putting on paper like just get it out and that I can really, like, I use that a lot. I use that concept a lot when revisiting these experiences and just letting it overtake me, letting my, it's just like a conscious, like, stream of thoughts onto a Google Doc. <laughs> and <laughs> it's, it's a great feeling, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, I I totally understand what you're saying. Like, I think I finally just, in the past few months, I finally understood Mm-hmm. I just got to write down this stuff. It doesn't matter if if it sounds great or if it makes sense. I got to just get it down. Like, I just got to tell. Let me just start just telling. And then I can work with it and make it better.
1: And I think that's like what makes it so hard to start is you're kind of paralyzed with this fear. Like, well, what if what I write is just really shitty? Mm -hmm. What if it's just not good? And yeah, I think the best way to overcome that—the only way to overcome that—is to just get it all out mm-hmm. on, on paper. Yeah. And
0: and then you gotta have the tenacity to stick with what you've written yeah. to make it better. Yeah. You know.
1: Honestly, yeah, that that's also a really hard stage of writing. It's like ugh, like now I have to go back and re and look at what I wrote and try to you know improve it. Oh, certainly. You know, try. Yeah. Then that's when you put on like your writing cap
0: like you're yeah you're writing
1: you, yeah writing like what you, what you apply like <laughs> the writing the sophisticated like writing yeah. crafting elements that you apply to that story and yeah. i think we read like we read something about that in um lily king is that cassie brought in like a yeah lily in, king yeah and like being a worm. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> do you remember that? I do remember that. That yeah. was part of
0: Cassie's presentation.
1: Yes, I think so.
0: I was just in a bookstore in Knoxville.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, like Union Ave books.
1: Okay.
0: Um, yeah. you know, whatever it's. Yeah. But I was looking, I just wanted to go in there and I was looking through all the books and cause it's just, you know, like gotta get more books, you know? Yeah. And I was seeing, like, I was seeing all these names that I've, the past six months I finally come to. And yeah, I saw like, like three Lily King books. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
1: But she says something really interesting about first, like, I think this was in the Lily King excerpt, but like just writing it all down and ignoring that, that voice, that knocking voice of like the writer's critic. I think it was referred yeah. to as like that critic. That's just like knocking on the door begging to be let in but you you have to ignore that critic for Mm -hmm. right now and just focus on getting it all out on paper before you apply that like very sophisticated writer like critical view on on that yeah like you
0: can't edit while you're writing right exactly um and that's and you'd kind of been hinting at it but then just the the obsession with perfectionism Mm, is like sort of that paralyzing thing that i thought you were alluding to yeah and you got to squash that.
1: Yeah, and Joan Didion um, mentions that in one of her essays as well, and trying to overcome that is such a hard thing to do as a writer, especially as young writers who, you know, we're just, just starting out in this field, and it's very intimidating when you see that there's already all these great authors and pieces of writing out there, and you worry that what you what you create just won't be enough.
0: Yeah. And the fact that there's just so many out there, you're like, what? Well,
1: yeah, there's not exactly. a place for me. Exactly. You, know? uh,
0: you got to try to make that place.
1: Yeah. And Dr. Arroyo was um, somebody who had really communicated that to me, as, especially as I, um, in one of our like, meetings that we've had, or I dropped by his office and we were just kind of talking and I was expressing how I didn't really feel like there was space for me in those I didn't really feel like there was space for me as a as a writer you know in the writing world I just feel like I felt like my stories really weren't worth telling because there wasn't it didn't seem like there was an interest in them and he was really the one who pushed me to embrace embrace that and yeah
0: certainly yeah no for sure you gotta you gotta like you got to cut away the leaves mm-hmm. that everyone else has planted. Mm-hmm. Like, every, you know, they're, they're all just trees with a bunch of brush, and you got to go in and find yourself a little clearing yeah. and cement yourself, Ma- root yes. yourself. Yes. I don't want to mix metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so, um, the Southern Literary Festival is approaching, and you are the first place winner of the fiction category for the listeners, you know, the 17 listeners that we have. <laughs> Which are mostly all my family
1: uh, i'll ask I'll <laughs> ask my friends to listen yeah, listen yeah, for sure,
0: uh maybe there's some students out there. Mm-hmm. I know some people in some of my classes are listening, but i i I want to know, do you know what stuff you're taking part in at the southern literary festival
1: so this is actually really sad news, but what? i
0: won't be there. Oh my <laughs> gosh, that's right. Arroyo was talking to me last night. Or oh, whenever, really? He was like, there's going to, part of the Southern Literary Festival, there's going to be a Natalie Bird song. Ooh, I don't know if that's her name, but a poet is going to uh-huh. be reading or and she wants some students to ask her questions. And he was like, and I think that you're going to be one of those students. Ashley's not going to be there. She was going to, be one of those students Oh so my you're not gonna god you're not I are not gonna know that damn I'll, what is that what are you doing oh
1: it's such an unfortunate timing <laughs> i am just gonna be out of town that weekend and i tried That's to what, make yeah. it work to where like i changed my flight dates it was it's like a graduation present oh yeah and so like i tried to change it around but there's just, like, no logistical Damn. way. And I, I tried so hard. At first, I, I thought I had figured it out in terms of, like, changing the flights and stuff. And I thought I was going to be able to make it and just, you know, I, I thought I was going to be able to make yeah. it. And, yeah, it took me a long time to, like, realize, like, I, I just, like, don't think I can actually make it, like, Damn. realistically. So that was very, a very hard email to send to Dr. Oh, Kate. Yeah. So I was, like, almost, like, crying. I All was right. like, I can't believe I'm going to miss this especially because I've been wanting to go to this ever since I've been a student here. And every year it's just something comes up, you know? I have time, even if I'm like super busy throughout this semester, like I've made time to do like the scholarly readings and, you know, for this podcast. And I gave a reading of um, Funeral for a Tongue at um, the celebration of, it was like this MTSU arts concert type of thing. And I gave a reading there, like, and some for some reason, like I will just be gone that yeah. weekend, yeah. and so that was like really, really disappointing to me. But I imagine. Yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> you'll be there in spirit. I
1: will. I am recording readings of the video, or I am recording myself reading. Yeah. You know.
0: For them to play. Yeah. Sometime.
1: Okay. You have to send me a video of how yeah. it looks, how it goes. Oh, I will. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Yeah. No problem. Um. Well, that's all good. I hope they have a fun time doing whatever it is. that is taking you away from here.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm (laughs) sure it's fun. You wouldn't miss the Southern Literary Festival if it wasn't something that you really wanted to do. Yeah. It's
1: something my sisters and I are um, going to California, and that was like supposed to be kind of like a sisterly bonding trip type of thing. And my parents, like, it was like my graduation present. And I couldn't just like let them go alone, you know, without yeah. me for like a couple of days. So I don't, there was just like no logistic, yeah. logistical way for me to, to go to the Southern Literary Festival, which is so upsetting. It was so sad. You will so be upsetting. missed,
0: but yeah, it, you know, you'll be living it up. <laughs> yeah, in SoCal. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so don't you have some things published? Where can the listeners? read your published things
1: um i am working on a website right now where i'll have all of more like my creative things published Mm -hmm. i have like a sort of work website um that has like more of my journalistic writings but i really want to build a home for my creative fiction creative nonfiction writing um and i will do that okay i will create like some sort of home for all of these works where people yeah. can can read them because especially after you know we i heard about slf and i was really excited and i posted about it on my social media and stuff like i had a lot of people reaching out to me asking like well where can i read these like two pieces of fiction or non-fiction that got that place in this festival and i was like oh, I, don't re- <laughs> I don't really have a home for them yet but i'm i definitely like am working on it and yeah
0: is the SLF not going to publish that stuff? Are they? Why the hell wouldn't they? I, I, What's oh, it's the point. You know what?
1: It's going in their anthology. Okay. I think. I'm so, not sure if I'm. I have to talk to Dr. Case about that. Okay, I don't yeah. know if I'm getting a copy of that. Well. Or not. But if
0: y'all are interested in reading Hair, Death. No, shit. I did it again. <laughs> Funeral for a Tongue? Yes. Damn. Yeah. And then any other of Ashley's work. You heard it here. She's going to be making a website just for you.
1: I will. And after this podcast, especially, like, th- I'm like, oh, gosh, like I actually have to make no, you something. Do it. yeah.
0: Yeah, you have a couple weeks before yeah. this gets fully edited. OK. Do you want to plug your social media?
1: Um, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram. I'm at Ashley Barrientos. Um, there's two eyes in Barrientos in my Instagram handle.
0: Was that intentional or (laughs) no,
1: it's not. I just, there was no other (laughs) username available and I didn't want to like use an underscore or something. So I just added an extra I, um, but yeah, you can find me on there
0: and you can go check out. Oh, what is, oh, it's, um, man, what is the platform that you work for? I already forgot. Impact. Impact. Go check out impact. Yes. Yeah. She's doing some great work over there.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, we got to know about the environment. (laughs) i mean seriously yeah people are overlooking it's scary it's gonna bite us in the ass in a hundred years maybe less maybe less already is honestly honestly yeah things are going extinct
1: yeah it's tides are rising scary, scary world
0: like we're not not all of us are gonna get to go to mars you know no yeah and then
1: we'll be stuck here we'll be stuck here dealing with the aftermath of yeah
0: one might call it the rapture,
1: right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: The f- yeah. Okay. All yeah. Right. <laughs> let's, no, we don't need to end on that. No.
1: Yeah. Let's, let's end on a high note. High um, note. Thank Ashley. you so much for having me on this podcast. Just like diving back into this work, you know, it's been a couple of months, a few months actually, since I've really revisited it. I mean, I did the scholarly, the scholars week reading, but really like unpacking it again has been a really fun experience for me and I'm I'm glad that I was able to share my process for yeah writing
0: it. well I'm really glad you could come on this has been a delight for me yeah. I've like I said at the top of the episode I've been waiting for you to come on wanting you desperately <laughs> out of all the people that I've had on the podcast no offense to any of them <laughs> I think you were the first person I had in mind when I found out I was going to be hosting this podcast thank you especially after learning that you placed first at the Southern Literary Festival. Thank
1: you, <laughs> that means so much to me. Genuinely. Yeah,
0: no, it's this has been a really great time. I've had yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, same here. All right, guys and girls and all the people in between. <laughs> That's it. Bye.
1: Thank you. Bye.
0: Bye. No, I hit that bye pretty hard. Bye. It doesn't matter. <laughs>